You're about to hear my conversation with our chief fixed income strategist, Dustin Reed. We talk all about the recent Fed decision to raise interest rates by 75 basis points, what's happening in Europe, what's happening in Japan, and how that impacts the portfolio. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm back with a timely discussion with our chief income strategist, Dustin Reed. Dustin, thanks for coming back. Hey, thanks very much for having me. Um, it is a particularly uh, interesting day to have you on the podcast. Uh, we're recording on uh, the 15th of June. Uh, the Fed has just announced a 75 basis point increase in their uh, overall interest rates on the back of hotter than expected inflation. Uh, maybe I'll just start by turning it over to you, Dustin. What should we make of all of this? So, yeah, it's uh, it's a busy day. It's been a busy few weeks uh, in, across all asset classes, particularly in, in our space in the fixed income spot. And um, you know, we've had uh, obviously a bit of a wiggle here kind of coming into the meeting, not to look in the rearview mirror too much. But I, I think, you know, Powell and, and a number of uh, uh, Fed officials had provided forward guidance towards doing 50 basis points this this month in June in today's meeting. Uh, and then 50 basis points in July. And then uh, we had this, uh, obviously, two significant releases uh, on Friday. One, the CPI number. And the second, which I would argue is just as important in, from the C, uh, as the CPI um, from the Fed's perspective, which was the Michigan uh, sentiment survey. And I say that because... Uh, uh, it, there are there are two things that the Fed focuses on, right? From from a uh, from a mandate perspective, one is full employment, the other is price stability. But beyond that, beyond that, even is the, the golden the golden rule for central banks, uh, particularly G10 central banks, is to ensure that long term inflation expectations do not become unanchored, and that that is, I mean, that is it. Really, that is that is almost everything. Um, and on Friday in this Michigan survey, you saw long-term inflation expectations, which the Michigan survey measures as as a five to ten year outlook from uh, from the from people on the survey, and it ticked up three tenths, which doesn't sound like a lot from three to three point three, but it's actually a huge move. Usually, it doesn't move at all, or it moves by a tenth. Right. And it's probably it was in the top decile for sure. I actually think it was in the top six or seven percent moves hmm. since the overall uh, history of the uh, of the index. So I think it's I think that's very, very important. Uh, that's a very that's a very big deal for for the Fed and bringing it and then kind of bringing it to today. You saw Powell reference that and maybe I'll get to that in a bit more, but kind of extending the timeline. So that's what we got Friday morning. And then you had this Wall Street Journal article that came out on the Monday afternoon, and it effectively said that the Fed was taking a very serious look at doing 75, which was 75 base point hike, which was obviously not what uh, the guidance was literally going into the uh, the blackout period, the PERDA period right. um, for the Fed. So 
market uh, jumped on that and short short end rates moved significantly, the whole curve moved significantly, um, you know, rate uh, equities moved significantly, everything did credit. So, um, so the Fed followed through with that 75 today. And obviously, it felt that it was very, very concerned about the inflationary picture uh, eroding. Uh, and in particular today, Powell, to, what was interesting to me, uh, really spent a little, a decent amount of time, or at least an important part of the conference, talking about long-term inflation expectations becoming unanchored and how headline inflation can affect that. Uh, and and I think that's a, that's a very that's a very very big deal for the Fed. So, you know, I think that's why we got seventy-five uh, today, and I think that the committee clearly is much much more concerned. And I think the Fed. After seeing the numbers on Friday, the market really wasn't there. Kind of after after the numbers on Friday, the market was pricing maybe 56, 57 basis points. Right. So a small probability, not not tiny, but a small probability of 75 for today's meeting, but not really where the Fed would traditionally move 75. That would have been considered a surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the Fed, you know, through back channels, probably wanted to get the market a little bit higher to try and um, minimize the 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 the, uh, the surprise factor for today. So I think that's kind of how we got got to where we got. And um, there's a lot of other stuff that's kind of interesting to, from today as well. If you wanna if you wanna unpack that a little bit more, sure. Maybe I'll start with a question. Just uh, you've you've emphasized the importance of long term uh, inflation expectations, yeah. um, and and almost it sounds like. Um, that might be more important than headline CPI. I'm curious, how correlated are the two over time? Is it is it as inflation ticks up on the short term that long term expectations tend to tick up, or is there are they fairly uncorrelated? See, so in my opinion, you need to see a pretty sustained uptick uh, or downtick in uh, in uh, short term inflation expect uh, short uh, kind of CPI or short term inflation expectations before the long term stuff moves. It hasn't really moved a whole heck of a lot while mm. while you see the one year in the same survey you know it's moved up significantly. Um right. you know a couple thousand basis points really over the past few years. And that's reflective obviously. I mean it's basically mark to market of what people are seeing in their own lives and what you're seeing on the regular you know CPI prints that kind of that come out monthly uh, and that sort of thing. But after a while obviously if you have you know, if you're used to, I'll use a very crude example. If you're used to ten years of two percent inflation, and then you have two years of five percent inflation, I mean, uh, I would expect that my long-term inflation expectations have moved up somewhat to to represent sure. that. You know, maybe fractionally, obviously not not one for one, but you know, I, I it, it would be it would be a natural bias, right, in, in the economy and society and communities. And I think that's what I think that's what we're seeing. And it's those sorts of things beyond the um, the long-term inflation expectations that start to feed into, and we've talked about it here before, the wage price spiral, right? right. And that's when you start getting really, uh, you start getting late 70s, early 80s type, uh, type of wage price increases. I mean, so an example, just to go across the pond for a sec, the largest... Um, the largest union in Germany, I think, asked for, and this is a month or six weeks ago, asked for a 12% increase wow. uh, in, in wages. And it's kind of the bellwether of all the uh, all the big the trade unions in, in Germany. 
and uh, and you know, it may not settle at twelve. They may not get twelve, but sure. that's that. That's what they ask for. Um, and so, kind of, so we haven't really had, we haven't gone through it all yet. We haven't had a lot of the unions and uh, uh, even even the private sector really, um, or at least non unions, ask for higher wages. We haven't seen that come through. And so, I think. When I see things like that, I I think about kind of what what is coming ahead here in the next one, two, three quarters in terms of uh, the ask from a wage price spiral. And I think that goes back to what I was saying before in terms of long-term inflation expectations. And I think the Fed wants to be, obviously the Fed wants to be ahead of it, but I think the Fed now feels that it needs to get ahead of it. And right. back, back, kind of backing up a little bit, the um, there was a sentence uh, in the in the May statement, in the May statement, so the previous statement, not today's statement, that talked about um, uh, getting getting back to two percent, uh, getting back to two percent inflation, uh, and and the Fed the Fed dumped it, uh, right. which to me was the biggest takeaway of the whole day. The statement, almost the whole almost the whole day, probably the statement, the dots, the the press conference. Um, that to me was another sign that the Fed is concerned about long-term inflation expectations becoming unanchored, or at least that, you know, I like the sports analogy. So we're not in the first inning of that anymore. Maybe we're in the third uh, or or fourth. And that is, I mean, that is just not going to stand, not for this Fed. And so I think that that is very telling for how I think the Fed is going to conduct policy uh, moving forward. The, uh, you referenced their dual mandate, one being full, full employment, the other being um, long-term inflation. Yeah. Uh, on the full employment side, there's clearly tension between the two, obviously, as they For sure. uh, raise interest rates. And you're starting to see some impacts of those interest rate hikes uh, go through the economy, whether that yeah. be through home sales. Yeah. Um, the labor market within the tech sector is a bit softer than uh, in previous, at least some of the reporting that yeah. I saw. Definitely. Um, I, I'm curious... Do you think the Fed is able to get there without uh, causing sort of a, a large recession? Uh, you know, we, we still see a lot of uh, job openings or, or not yep. many uh, uh, candidates for job openings. So what's right. your view on unemployment and how far will the Fed have to go um, on, uh, on and impact employment? So, so Powell said this today, and it's a great question. So the, the Fed believes that the labor market is way overcooked, mm. way, way overcooked. And Powell mentioned it again today, this specific ratio that he started mentioning a few months ago, and not to be academic, but it's called the beverage ratio. And it's basically uh, the the, uh, the amount of job openings with the amount of people looking for work, you know, in, in, a, in a nutshell. And that, and that ratio is currently running at about 1.9. So for every uh, one person looking for work, there are 1.9 job openings. Pre-pandemic, that number was chugging along pretty comfortably around 1-1, So when the Fed or Powell starts talking about there's weight, the job market is way overdone, way overcooked, way too hot. And it, we need to take the froth out of it. That's what. That's exactly what he means. And he wants to see that number come down because that is putting. I mean, obviously, that's putting significant upside pressure on uh, on wages. 
Yes. And that is that is unsustainable uh, from a from a longer term from a longer term economic perspective. So the Fed wants to in, in a perfect world, I think it'll be difficult kind of getting back to your question. I think it'll be very difficult to engineer this. Uh, to take the froth out of the labor market without necessarily seeing a significant rise in the unemployment rate. Now, this was the June meeting today. Um, This was a forecast meeting, like you kind of alluded to. And so not only do you get kind of the dot plot with the Fed, with the, with the, uh, the Fed funds expectations, but you also get what they think around growth, employment, and inflation going forward. And the Fed's new forecast today has um, the unemployment rate rising by half a percentage point, 0.5% from 3.6 to 4.1 through 2024, at least as the median median estimate. And there's obviously a band around that, but that's the median estimate. And that to me looks uh, very optimistic. (laughs) That is gonna be tough. I mean, you're you're already seeing it, right? And you're seeing it on the te- in the tech sector side. You're seeing massive inventory discounting on the retail side, like the Target news and the Walmart news. And I think we'll see. I think we'll continue to see more of that. And I think that I think it's tough to only see 0.5 percent increase uh, in in two years. I think that'll that'll end up being incorrect. Obviously, the Fed doesn't want to engineer a recession, but it, it it really does need to engineer slower growth because the labor market is too frothy. It's putting upside uh, pressure on wages, which is having uh, upside pressure on long-term inflation expectations. And we haven't even talked about the oil story here or the supply right. chain story, right? right. Uh, and that's that's obviously having an impact as well. I mean, this, this, is, very, this is very challenging stuff. And I think that... Um, I think it's going to be very difficult for the Fed to engineer a soft landing on this one um, because the labor market is so overstretched because there are external um, uh, forces that are impacting inflation, like supply chain, like the the terrible uh, conflict in Russia, Ukraine, the commodity price fallout, not only oil, but also food and uh, fertilizer, a whole bunch of other stuff that doesn't necessarily get the big headlines. And I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be challenging. So the Fed's going to have to move um, expeditiously to neutral and and above neutral to kind of stamp this out. And I think that uh, we got, we kind of got confirmation today that, the, that that rates are going to be moving higher than where they thought three months ago. Which you know I think we had a number of conversations on on the on the podcast that it's going to need to go quite a bit higher to to stamp it out. So yeah, I do think it's going to be challenging to. Uh, not have a significant slowdown here in the back half of this year, or early 23, uh, because the Fed's going to need to remain aggressive. Great. We'll leave the Fed uh, for the time being. Love to get your comments on the ECB and Europe as a whole. Uh, what's your view there? We've talked about it uh, frequently uh, over the, the months. Um, what's what's the latest out of uh, Europe? For sure, yeah. So, so Europe... It continues to be very, very uh, challenging as well. Um, uh, so, so many places to go, I don't even know where to start. So the, the inflation numbers have come up uh, significantly in Europe to, to effectively match where they are in the US. And I think most people, maybe not everyone, but most people expect that the European inflation numbers could move higher than, than the US on a prolonged mm-hmm. basis. So that's pretty significant, particularly when you... Uh, 
combine that with the the fact that the deposit rate in Europe is still negative. It's negative right. fi- negative fifty basis points, FIBO. Um, and I guess technically, as we sit here today on uh, June fifteenth, they're still doing a quantitative easing program uh, and injecting uh, liquidity into the economy until July first. Uh, right. So for the next two plus weeks, <laughs> so um, it, it looks it looks a bit it looks a bit off. Uh, so the ECB had a meeting uh, last week, and it is clearly getting more hawkish, and the market is starting to price in a lot more. The market's pricing in, um, I think, it, uh, at least around 150 basis points for the rest of the year for the for the ECB, and uh, we've seen a massive, massive move in the front end of the curve, the whole curve really, but the front end of the curve in particular, you know, which is something that I know you and I have talked a lot about this year, and it was definitely, I would say, top three of my favorite trades coming into the year. And that that's, right. that's, that's been great for, that's been great for the team. And, um, and, and I think that, uh, and I think the ECB will need to continue to pivot and, uh, and remain and remain hawkish here. The other, the other thing that's been really interesting is we've seen what, what people refer to as the peripheral spreads, which is basically uh, Italy, Portugal, right. uh, Spain, uh, Greece, um, the, the bond yields in, in those countries have uh, widened versus the, the German benchmark pretty significantly. Uh, there was a lot of talk coming into, um, I would say, actually, not, not only the June meeting last week, but also the, the previous ECB meeting, that the ECB might provide a, a new program or at least um, rethink a current program to try and keep, that, keep those spreads in check. Um, the ECB uh, failed to deliver that really uh, last week. And you saw Italy is kind of the, the 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 one that everyone watches from a from a credit perspective because it's it's got the, the largest um, gross debt um, to, to GDP and it's the largest economy. So the Italian spreads really uh, really widened significantly since since last week. So much so that uh, just for fun, because today wasn't busy enough, uh, the ECB had an emergency meeting uh, right. earlier this morning. To basically try and figure out what it could do on that, having had a meeting less than a week ago, and the statement that they put out after the emergency meeting today was uh, very, very short on details, and I don't think the market's going to like it. So I, I continue to expect, and I would say we as a team continue to expect that those spreads, Italy and and otherwise, will continue to widen, and that is, um, and th- that's going to be a challenge for that's going to be a challenge for the ECB. So. You know, the ECB has a lot of work to do here, um, and you know those are still uh, markets that we uh, that we like to uh, to trade around tactically. And if you want, we can talk about that maybe a bit later in, in the podcast. But uh, I do expect the ECB to hike in July. Uh, I think, yeah, I mean, they, they should do fifty. But I'm not here to tell you what they should do. I'm here to tell you what they will <laughs> do. Uh, as I say. Um, I mean, they're still actually thinking about 25 basis points, which which is just shocking to me, given what I just said. But um, right. um, but I think given kind of how things are going and there's talk Bank Canada is going to do uh, 75 in July and, uh, you know, the Fed hasn't taken 75 off the table for July. Maybe the ECB will come with 50. But even whether they do 25, whether they do 50, I think they'll ramp it up for September and do 50. And the October meeting, which is not a forecast meeting for the ECB, I think is live and they will hike. And some people think that they will not. I think that that's wrong. Um, so the ECB is going to be playing catch up and it's time and the, and the curve is reflecting it. 
That's great. Uh, if we continue around the globe and, and also around the, I guess, curve of interest rate hikes and yeah. where people are on, on the different curves, let's move to Japan. Okay. Um, Japan is a real outlier uh, in many ways. Um, they're an uh, odd economy. They're sticking. It seems like they're, they're, um, inflation is actually ticking up, which is the first time that we've seen that in some time. Love your view on, on Japan and, and what the Bank of Japan is doing there. For sure. So Japan, like you say, I think very accurately is um, a bit a bit of an outlier here. Um, I would say the Swiss are probably a little bit of an outlier as well, kind of like what, what's left in the G10. Um, but Japan obviously has a yield curve control program in place, particularly around the 10-year sector of the curve. So what that basically means is that they have made a pledge that they will not let rates uh, I guess technically move outside of a certain band, and that currently that band is uh, a target of zero basis points, plus or minus twenty five basis points. So anywhere from negative twenty five to plus twenty five. Well, given the way uh, inflation has come globally, and even Japan is not an island, as I like to say on this one, and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know just the way glo- global global inflation and, and curves have been moving, uh, no, no surprise it's been bumping up. Ten year JGBs, J- uh, Japanese government bonds, have been bumping up against. The, the ceiling of 25 basis points. So the Bank of Japan has been in uh, a lot uh, in in the market, in a lot in size, uh, spending money to basically hold the line and rates will not move above 25 basis points. Now what's been really interesting here, there's a few interesting things, but one interesting thing is like like in the US, in Japan, there is a there is a futures market for the you know, for fixed income and for in, in particular for ten year Japanese government bonds. Well, lo and behold, the futures market and the cash market have frayed significantly in the mm-hmm. last three three or so trading days, basically since since the weekend, um, and I would say materially, uh, so to the point where the cash uh, the cash market obviously is still twenty five basis points. But the futures market is effectively, uh, and I haven't looked all afternoon, but uh, last time I looked earlier today, it was pricing in uh, probably about 42 basis points for the 10-year JGB. Wow. And that, that fraying or that, that, you know, the daylight between the futures market and the cash market is, I think, very, very telling. And it explains uh, or it says a lot about the pressure on, on the market and on the ECB, to, sorry, <laughs> on the BOJ uh, to... Right. To, to dump this yield curve control policy because it looks stale and out of date. Uh, so the Bank of Japan has a meeting this week, um, and uh, I, I think we might get some initial lip service around maybe getting rid of the yield curve control program. Maybe that'll come by way of we're going to uh, start a study that uh, to see if it's still effective or not. I think they'll dump the yield curve control program at the July meeting. I think this meeting is a little bit early, um, A, because people have said, no, we're not doing it. B, because they've already pre-announced uh, a fixed allotment uh, to buy JGBs, to buy Japanese government bonds at, at the ceiling for Thursday and Friday, which are the dates of their meeting. So it would be very odd to say you're going to defend it and then dump it literally on the same day. Uh, that right. I mean, it's, Anything's possible, but it, that really would not make... Um, a lot of sense. And then third, there are some upper house elections happening in Japan uh, between the end of this month and early July. And not always, but generally, traditionally, 
the bank doesn't do major policy moves ahead of uh, ahead of uh, elections. So I think for those three reasons, I could easily be proven wrong, given just the sheer pressure on on the bank and and, on, right. and from the market. But I don't think they'll I don't think they'll move it this week. Uh, but I do think that July is uh, very very live. So that's one of the big macro trades of the year and it's one that we've had on for a few months which has been which has been great um for for a while it did nothing because it, it just stuck at 25 and, and no one really believed it but we have it on from a futures perspective and uh in the last few days it's really started to to go in our favor and um that's a big macro trade you, you know you believe it i mean you love these kind of trades particularly this one because I mean, anything is possible, but you know, how much downside is there for ten-year Japanese government bonds? Sure. I would say again, anything's possible, but it feels like twenty-five is being is very, very low given the global inflation environment and where bond markets are going. Uh, uh, so and and have gone. So you know, in a way, I mean, not in a way. I mean, the Bank of Japan is synthetically holding that bond yield low, right? It's like a it's like a dam. Yeah. And as soon as you, like, as soon as you open the dam, uh, I mean, the water is just going to flow right through. So, I mean, you live for these kind of macro trades because I mean, nothing is riskless uh, for sure. But this one looks looks great, and um, and the cost of carry is very very low. It's only twenty five basis points, you know, over a year, um, right. you know, which is which is amazing. <laughs> so. So we do have that on, uh, you know, in size. I would say across all our portfolios and unconstrained. In uh, we even have a little bit in our in our core and core plus funds because we believe in it so strongly. Uh, not as much as a percentage perspective. Uh, sure. Obviously, in our global funds, it's it's a big deal, and Constantine's done an amazing job, uh, you know, ma- managing that. And um, and, and I, I think it's a great trade. So we have that on, and, and you know, that's that's kind of one of the ways that we like to diversify and do what I would call tactical alpha. Uh, you know, as active managers and look for these opportunities across the globe, um, you know, not just in Canada or, or even North America, but really finding these macro trades. I mean, this is something we had on a couple months ago. You know, we were very, very sure it was going to happen and we're just waiting for it to happen. And it's now started to kind of uh, pay off. So we'll see how it trades in the next few weeks. But uh, sure. I, think it, I think it's a great I think it's a great trade and really interesting to talk about. That's great. I'm sure, uh, given all the uh, volatility and action within fixed income markets that we talked about, uh, both in the Fed ECB, there's other trades that you have on. Uh, maybe give some insights on what else you're doing outside of Japan. Well, yeah, for sure. So we've, uh, so I would say some from last Friday to yesterday, we've seen a 60 basis point move in two year U.S. Uh, treasuries uh, right. higher. Uh, that would that would rank as some of the most uh, some of the biggest moves we've seen probably in our careers, maybe even longer than our careers. I mean, it's it's huge moves. When you look at volatility indexes for uh, for fixed income, kind of like VIX for fixed income, so to speak, uh, you're 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 well within the top five percent of of all time highs. Right. So there's a lot of volatility. So with volatility comes risk. There also comes a lot of opportunity. So we've been tactically trading in and out of what I would call the front end and the belly of the curve, particularly uh, in twos and fives, with with a very very strong view that rates would need to adjust higher, and, and that's not going to be a surprise given 
I think to people that listen to uh, you know our podcast over the last over sure. the last four five six months, you know, been we've been pretty pretty hawkish and the need to recalibrate the rates for to the need for rates to recalibrate higher. So, um, so we've been in and out of the two year and five year space in the U.S. and we continue to like the European uh, version of that, particularly on the on the German side, and, and we still hold a decent amount of that um, as as you know two year rates in Germany, you know. Have probably moved. I don't know, 150 or 160 basis points here in the last last few months, and 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 kind of going back to what I was saying about the ECB before, and it, it would have to get to neutral, and it would need to come like, ha, you know, come to recognize that it needs to go there. Uh, the five year the five year bond is usually a good vehicle from a uh, to 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 message those kind of trades from a terminal rate perspective, unless it's going to be a very very quick up and down. But we don't think it's necessarily going to be that way. Anyway, regardless, the, we've we've had it on in the five year space as well. So those have been those have been um, those have been really good trades. And and as and as risk has not been great, uh, although we'll see how things trade post FOMC today. But as risk has not been great over the last couple of weeks, uh, we, we've been uh, a little bit overweight uh, dollar CAD, so underweight the Canadian dollar in our in our portfolios, and uh, and and that's been and that's been uh, probably a, a net adder to a lot of our. Uh, our portfolios on the margin, but definitely the the short short end of the curve, um, and then the the JGB stuff and uh, and the five year um, and the five year uh, part of the curve trades I think have been quite uh, quite good uh, from a from a P and L perspective, and uh, I think those are trades that will help us uh, you know differentiate us from uh, from maybe a few other a few other shops on the street. So uh, it's been really busy, really interesting, amazing. Amazing time for macro trading, fixed income macro trading, and uh, can absolutely uh, can absolutely say the team's been uh, going for it on all cylinders here. So it's been a really a really interesting time, and uh, I think I think the summer will continue to be very very interesting with oil higher, food prices higher, um, inflation probably hasn't peaked, um, and uh, you know I think there's a lot of alpha to be made within within rates, uh, you know, watching central banks and, uh, and, 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 re- and further rate moves to come. So I think there's a lot more to kind of talk about here as we head, head, in, uh, head into uh, the summer months. Well, Dustin, I look forward to our future conversations. This one, as always, was uh, very enlightening. Appreciate all the work that you and the team are doing and uh, look forward to our next conversation. That sounds great. Thanks very much for having me. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.